Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Moss, your host of Task Force X. What, are we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is. While Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title in all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them oh so many years ago. Mother... That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go ahead and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. And here we go with episode 31 of Task Force X. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me again. In case you're a first-time listener, my name is Aaron Brotherhead Moss, and I am here to talk about, well, the comic books Suicide Squad and Checkmate from both back in the late 80s, early 90s. Today, we're going to discuss Suicide Squad number 20, but before we get to that, we're going to look at Checkmate number 9. Checkmate number 9 had a cover date of December of 1988, but... To buy that on sale, you had to be around August the 9th of 1988. The cover price was $1.25. The title of this issue was called Funny Money. Written, as usual, by Paul Kupperberg. Penciled by John Statham. Inker is Al Vey. Letter, Gaspar Saldino. Colorist, Juliana Freder. And edited by Jonathan Peterson. And the cover on this was... I've always pronounced it Art Tebert. But listening to the Fire and Water podcast, uh, they say it's it's pronounced T-Bert, so or T-Bear. So it's artist is Art T-Bear. The synopsis, once again, from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Checkmate headquarters becomes the target of increased scrutiny after Blackthorn was able to penetrate security. While security tests are underway, a field operation is being conducted in Washington to locate the source of a counterfeiting ring. Knight, Roger Dayton is able to shut down a warehouse run by the group. He fights a large man named Claymore, whom he leaves for dead in a burning building. However, the body is not recovered. Claymore survived and has followed Dayton to Koning Industries, the front for Checkmate headquarters. And now, for my thoughts on this issue, we'll start as we normally do on the cover. On the cover, we have an unknown man who wants to read the story we find out is Claymore. Uh, Front and center on the cover... In front of him kneeling is a knight. His costume's all battered. There's like two or three torn spots in it. The leg's got a a large cut in the leg. And uh, Claymore is standing there holding up a timber. They're both in a a house that appears. It's on fire. It looks like a house because there's looks like a stairway there. And we'll find out later. I believe this is the basement. And I like this on one on the timber that. Uh, Claymore's holding up. It has the, the Checkmate logo written on it. Again, this is a great cover. Art T-Bear does a fantastic job. 
Uh, he normally does a great job. I mean, this is just furthermore that he's a good artist, a great artist. Uh, I love the way this looks. The, the, what's his name? Claymore is looking down at the knight. Knight's kind of looking up at him, clocking like, oh crap, you know, I want to get this timber dropped on me. Uh, it shows the impending doom, The shows the knight's in trouble. I really like this cover. This is one of the covers that I think is an iconic cover for Checkmate. Uh, moving on to the story itself, we start out at Coning Industries in Shelby, Virginia. And I talked about this in the synopsis already, so there's no real surprise here. But starting the, the story out, not reading the synopsis, it appears that Checkmate headquarters is being breached. Uh, we got alerts going on. Security's been breached. All units to stations. And the, the uh, security guys are in contact with Harry uh, Stein, the leader of Checkmate, the king, as they say. And here at the bottom of page one, there's three guys that's moving into their targets. Um, I've got to say, and maybe it's just me, but the guy down here on the bottom, uh, the bottom panel in the middle, looks a bit like Law from Law and Order from G.I. Joe. In fact, thinking about the guy behind him looks a little bit like maybe Flint or Falcon. Uh, again, I'm sure it's just coincidence, but that's who they remind me of looking, <laughs> looking at them. And the bad guys are stopped at the bottom of page two. They get gassed. Here at the top of page three, actually it's page three, it's a splash page. Uh, we find out that it's actually just a, a trial run, just a test. Harry says you can step down from the alerts. And one of the guys that, that's watching what's going on, he tells Harry, you know, that they've seen enough of this uh, fiasco. And again, they, as we talked about in the synopsis, uh, they say that it's... it's what, what this guy says. He says it was bad enough when the Black Thorn woman gained access to the premises without being detected. But this is ridiculous. Those men made it all the way to the Harvey's headquarters before they were stopped. And again, I mean... That's that's that is true. I mean, for someone to make it that far in a secret organization, government organization is not a good thing. And Harry, you know, defends himself by saying they're a new organization. There's bugs to be worked out. And one of the guys in the back says, "You know, it's a poor excuse that this has been real." These guys are they're reporting to the National Council on Security. After they leave, uh, Harvey Bullock shows up. And, well, Harry's not too happy with Harvey, seeing how he's the one that uh, Blackthorn get in and get the the document documents the document she needed to blackmail Amanda. And I like that even though Harry could be and actually probably should be really upset with Harvey for what happened, because, again, if he hadn't... Let Blackthorn help Blackthorn get in. Help Blackthorn get the information that she had that she used against Amanda. He wouldn't be undergoing this hassle right now. But it shows what a good friend he is that he's not as mad as he could or should be at Harvey over what happened. So I mean, they even went go to get lunch. Uh, Harvey buying. And again, I like the transition here. Uh, the second panel down, long panel across the page. Shows Harvey handing the gal behind the counter some money. He's like, here you go, honey. This will cover me and my friend. 
you got a 20 he's reaching out with. And then the panel right below that is some other guy handing a cashier a 20. So it's a neat transition. It's the same scene from two different areas, two different people, whatever. I like with this scene transitions here where we get this guy, you know, he get a little uh, info dump here. The clerk says he has to run through the infrared. There's been a lot of funny 20s going around. And the guy jokes around. He's like, I don't know about that. I made that freshman basement this morning. And so he gives him $80 and change. And as the guy gets the car with a woman, he flashes the cash that he has changed. And said it was a piece of cake. Let's roll. And as they take off, another car pulls out, flips around to follow him. And so apparently this is some sort of government guy that's been surveilling him. But as this blue car follows the guys with what I'm assuming is counterfeit money, a red van comes around the corner and follows the blue car. They get on the freeway, highway, whatever it looks like, a freeway. As they go along, the red van pulls up besides the the blue car, whether it's a cop or FBI, we're not sure at this point. A window rolls down, and a gun just... And again, I'm calling it an Uzi. Just because it looks like what Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe carries and he carries an Uzi. Again, not a gun guy, so I'm assuming that's what it is. <laughs> but he, he blows the guy away. And then after the, uh, like I said, gunfire, the Uzi goes off, shooting the guy in the car. Looks like he misses. Because it looks like the bullets go right around him. But the guy jerks back like he was hit, so I'm not quite sure there. But then we get a close-up of the guy in the passenger seat. And then we see it's the same guy from the cover, who we haven't got a name for yet. But I know from the synopsis, his name's Claymore. And the blue car veers off and gets run into by a truck carrying, uh, I don't know, a tanker truck of some sort. And it all explodes with a crashing boom. And again, I love the way that panel's drawn. I mean, there's no real detail in it. But, because, again, it's showing, you know, a car veering across traffic and a truck running into him and the fire and explosion. And, again, all this page shows is the, the tanker truck connecting with the blue car, the fire, the blam of the explosion. Another car looks like it should be ran off, being cut off by the blue car. But with the way it was drawn through all the action, I can tell that the car veered across lanes and got ran into by this this tanker truck and caused it to explode. So again, I, I, I do have to say there was some great artwork on this, as usual. And then on the next page, we get the Washington, D.C., the Department of the Treasury, and we get some suits sitting around talking to Amanda Waller. That's right, the wall from Suicide Squad. And at this point, we find out that the guy in the blue car was with the Treasury. Uh, we get someone talking off panel saying they received positive ID of the victims of the crack-up on the Beltway this morning. They were the Treasury team, all right. No accident. The car was riddled with gunfire. So it looks like, the, actually, we only see the one guy in the car. Unless I missed something. And again, well, actually, I guess there was two. We only see the one guy, but he's talking. I assumed he was talking on a phone 
or a walkie-talkie or something to his partner because he talks about, you know, he's, I tell you, partner's getting real monotonous. And I, I think that's just on me. Even though they didn't show both of the people in the car, you were to assume from his conversation that he was talking to somebody else in the car. For some odd reason, I read it that he was talking to, again, somebody on, like on a car phone or somewhere else. But the way the guys, these suits are talking, he's, they're referring to they and them. So I'm assuming there was another guy in the car with him. And they basically get some more info dump. And again, I like the way they're, you know, without showing all this, they're giving it to us in a natural way. They're reporting to Waller that uh, what's been going on, the stuff that we don't see that led up to this, that they were, and tell us they're investigating a counterfeit ring, the counterfeit knows they're on to them. And, uh, and again, typical bureaucracy, there's three guys sitting around the table talking, and uh, this one guy, I'm not sure he's off right offhand, he's telling Waller that he agrees with this uh, assistant attorney general, they've been conducting the investigation on their own, and, okay, the guy that's talking is with the FBI. Because got another guy sitting in the room is like, you what? Excuse me, Mr. Blaine, but this case hardly falls into the FBI's purview. Counterfeit, counterfeiting is a treasury matter. And Blaine's like, if your people had been doing the job, we would have had to intervene. And now, with the murder of your agents... And again, so these guys are arguing back and forth between themselves. Just like you're going to find with uh, government, different organizations. Neither one, you know... Both of them want to take control of the situation. Both of them want to take point, if you will. And again, so they're sitting there arguing. And Amanda's like, <clears throat> blah, 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 going back and forth. And Amanda's like, <laughs> here on this top of page, I think it's page eight or so. <laughs> In the middle panel, we get a close-up of Amanda Waller. She's all, this look of annoyance and just pissed off is on her face like I said <coughs> thank you gentlemen now the president himself requested I put my two cents in this matter and she said that she's like although from my gather two cents isn't going to be worth anything if things don't change and then we got like an extreme close up on her face and I mean Amanda Waller if you know her she's a large black woman not tall but heavy sets short heavy set black woman and this this what is it, the fourth panel, the, the first panel in the second row, get an extreme close-up of her face, like her forehead down to her top teeth. There's a light on her that's lighting her up a little bit. She's just like, almost, I'm going to say, almost like hellfire. She's like a demon or a devil right here. She's like, isn't that correct, Mr. Sullivan? <laughs> I just love the way, I mean, she's got this fear. And she did, I mean, let me phrase that. She doesn't have a fear, but she's, Petting out this fear towards pe to people that just, like I say, this look on her face right here, the, the art on this book, as I normally say, is great. Uh, it's a bit of a different style than we from uh, Suicide Squad, but it's not too far off. There, it's close enough that I think between John Statham and Iker Alve, the colorist and everybody involved, did a fantastic job. I, I love this scene right here where she, you know, she's, her eyes are like, isn't that correct? And you can just tell with just this small section of her face that she is really extremely pissed the fuck off. 
And then we pull back and show the, the other three gentlemen still talking. And managed to stand at the table looking down like, oh, God. And the one guy, Mr. Sullivan, I'm assuming, is back paddling, trying to, you know, well, it's not quite that bad, Miss Walter. I think we're doing rather well and, you know, just trying to cover his own butt. And Amanda's basically saying the same thing I think we all think. God save me from ass-covering bureaucrats. <laughs> and then we get some more info dump. Uh, Waller tells Sullivan to let him know. And so, again, he's stammering and he's like, oh, well, you can understand... Or want to keep this quiet. I mean, the implications are staggering. If this gets out, we... Sullivan? Well, yes, well, it's about the printing plates. The ones used for the printing U.S. currency? It seems a complete set of them was discovered or missing about five weeks ago. We don't know how it happened. Just, well, they're just missing. And as they're sitting there bickering back and forth again about it, uh, the other guy, uh, ooh, Blaine, was like, my God, if this gets circulation, can you imagine the effect on the economy? I think we know another great shot of Amanda is like the president already has, which is why he's handed the case over to me. And again, I just love that way she said that she's got one finger pointed at them, one finger pointed at herself, saying, you know what, this is my job now. And the guys are together, like, you can't be serious, this is a treasury matter, blast it. And Amanda walks out, she got a slight smile on her face. Have a nice day, boys. <laughs> God, I love Amanda Waller, if I haven't said that yet. And then we cut to Harry back over in the uh, Checkmate headquarters talking to a guy named Abe Crane, who's a rook. And again, I like the way that they kind of fill us in. It's been nine issues since it started. But as they're going along, they're kind of filling us in and letting us know the different positions and how they do without giving us a big info dump. Well, this is a rook and he does this. This is a knight he does this. And actually, it tells us in the story as the story's progressing. And as we find out here that... Again, Abe's a rook, and basically the rooks are the ones that set the missions up. They're the ones that pick the knights. So they're basically giving us, and again, maybe it's just me, but I like the way that they're, they're giving us to us, again, without an, an info dump. They're doing it in story-wise. And so Abe picks out his knight, a guy named Roger Dayton, 34 years old. Worked six years of the treasury before his group and checkmate, which would be useful having someone that's worked in the treasury. And then again, another little segue, we see uh, Abe looking at the monitor with uh, Roger Dayton's picture on it. And then we cut to who we're going to assume is uh, Roger. He's sitting there playing cards with somebody, with a group of guys. And again, he's probably not a very good poker player as he's losing. And then we find out that losing's part of Roger's plan. He's undercover at this point. The money he's gambling with is uh, counterfeit money, and he's using it to try to get closer to the counterfeit ring. And I guess when he meets the, the main guy, or the, his contact, if you will, he's all, So I don't suppose I get time to take this over, huh? Afraid not. I guess I'll give him a hardball when I'm in, in it. Sunday report to work. When do I report to work, boss? <laughs> so again, I mean, counterfeiters, once they invite you in, yeah, I guess there's no going back. <laughs> and then after Roger sets up the, the timing, the meeting, everything with his, his boss, in quotes, and he's phoning into headquarters, gets the call to move into action. And I like this. He gets, I like the narrative in here. We get from the Knight's point of view, like their journal or whatever. And he's telling he's going to a quiet, middle-class neighbor, Washington neighborhood. Uh, let me see here. And... <laughs> And again, as I've said, I love their suits. I think their suits are fantastic. 
And they've got so much gadgets in there. He's got a little knife that pops out to let the air out of the tires. He's got a hose in there to, I'm assuming, get gasoline out of the tank to make sure he's got no gas to get anywhere. Again, I, I just and I and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I love the layout of these. These suits are beautiful. They did a fantastic job on that. And actually, I guess that's not something for get gas. I guess he's not getting. I guess he's not taking the gas out of the truck. That's a recorder uh, or a uh, an eavesdrop device, so we can listen in on the the muddy launderers. And as the night sneaks into the house down in the basement, again that squeaky step always gives you away. And. One guy's like, he's got a gun. Another guy's, I'll take care of this clown. And he gets shot. <laughs> and then they have a little fight, fight, shoot, shoot, run, run. And again, he dodges this one guy shooting at him and he uses his wrist mounted uh, knife launcher and shoots a knife into the guy's shoulder. And again, this is the guy from the cover. So he takes, takes that knife out and he uses it to try to jump at the knight and fight him with it. And as our knight Rogers fighting, uh, what's his name, Claymore? Claymore's gonna, you know, he's a big lumbering guy getting to take a knife without flinching. So they're doing a little, little dance, a little fighting. Claymore's kicking him around. He's in the buildings burning around him. Claymore's like, not real talking, huh? Ain't you gonna tell me I can't get away with this? Bet the Batman would have had a whole speech laid out by now. But you're no Batman, are you? You're not much of anything except a dead man. And I like the how. Paul's keeping this more. I mean, again, it's superheroes, a sword. It's a government agency, but it's more of a, a real world, if you will. But even though it's Paul likes to keep this stuff more real world, as it were, I like that he does pepper in some superhero stuff to let us know that it is in the, the real world. Again, in quotes, is in the DC universe where there is a Batman. Uh, the only problem with the Batman line in here. And again, I don't have a problem with it, but uh, when Denny O'Neill took over in the 80s, uh, he tried to make Batman more of an urban myth. People didn't really believe in him, didn't know he was actually there. So, per Denny O'Neill, Claymore shouldn't be able to use that Batman reference because he wouldn't know about Batman. But again, that's just a minor nitpick. And that's just something, again, Denny's, Denny O'Neill's uh, suggesting that the Batman's an urban myth that no one would know about. Uh, there's other things out there that, that counterdicts that too. So that Paul's not alone in this. So and again, as Claymore's fighting and he's beating the crap out of Roger our Knight here, Claymore doesn't realize that the Knight has had a, a an incendiary device on his back, and so Claymore picks him up, starts crushing him, and I like this. The Knight's thinking in his head, he's like, he figures he got me now. That in 30 seconds he'll crush me. He better well do it in four, three, two, one, or he's out of luck. And like as, as the knight's counting down in his head how much time Claymore has left before the explosion goes off on his back, we get closer and closer to his face. Uh, we see Claymore holding him, and then we get just a close, closer up of his face with his hand in the view, and then we get a closer view of his mask, and the final view is so close we can see his eyes through the slot. And then the, and then here at the bottom of the page, the claymore goes off, and again, it's not very uh, unless it's just this scan. Because I'm reading a scanned copy of this. I need to dig this out of my box and see what it looks like in actuality. But the we're here at the bottom of the page again. These pages aren't numbered. 
I'm guessing it's about page 19, it looks like, where the incendiary device goes off on his back. You don't really see it. You see him rearing back, there's these fires coming up off the bottom of the page, but you don't actually see it going off on his back. And then the top of the next page, we see his back of his jacket, like a circle of fire flaming on it. And he's got a stick beating the crap out of his back, trying to put the fire out. And as he crawls out, he leaves the uh, Claymore in the burning house. Leaves him for thinking he's dead. But as we'll find out later, not quite so dead. Spoilers. And back at base, Roger's talking with his rook. And the rook's telling him he's not pleased that, you know, if the police had showed up a little sooner, they would have found the counterfeit, la the counterfeit laundry. The counterfeit money and word would have leaked out, would have ended their operation. And again, as they're bickering back and forth, I say bickering, uh, the rook's telling the knight what he did wrong and the knight's coming with excuses. And I said, well, you know, I, I did take out a large part of the operation, though. He's like, you could have told him back, got a bigger fish. And... <laughs> Roger's like, yeah, I see what you mean, sir. I guess I got carried away. My first time in costume, and, and Rook's like, it's a uniform. Whatever, still, it was worth it. Just take out that leather-clad monster. No, no, he's not there waiting for me. <laughs> and here we find out that uh, Claymore isn't as dead as we thought, or as the knight thought. Because uh, uh, Rook's like, Wait, who are you talking about? Big guy, about 6'5", scarred face, wearing head-to-toe leather. We could several bodies from this basement, but none from that description. Are you sure you got him? I sure as hell thought so. We left him down there with a burnt incendiary burning on his back. And then we cut out to the road outside of Checkmate headquarters, where we see the, the people from earlier in the scene that was... Uh, passing the counterfeit money that was being followed by the treasury agent there with Claymore. And here we get Claymore's name. Uh, one of the gals says, positive Claymore, because, uh, try that again. Claymore's asking, are you sure that's where he went? And this, the girl's like, positive Claymore. It took a lot of fancy talking, but that's the place. And Claymore's all, that costume maniac nearly killed me, and he ain't getting away with it. We're going to go in there and get that bastard. And the next issue box tells us money money continues with an attack on Checkmate HQ. Dun-dun-dun. Again, another great book. I, I enjoy Checkmate. I think Paul Kupperberg's doing a fantastic job on it. Uh, overall, I said, I've talked about the art. The art's fantastic. Uh, the writing's super, superb. It's just a good book all the way around. But enough about Checkmate. Go ahead and hold on a minute. I'm going to play some commercials for some fellow podcasters. And I'll be right back with Suicide Squad. We'll be back after this break. Don't touch that dial for goodness sake. Hi, my name's Johnny Slick, and I'm the host of the Straight Shot Radio Podcast. With all of the crazy health fads and fitness trends out there, it's hard to make sense of what's real and what's not. That's why each week I answer your health and fitness questions and interview doctors, coaches, trainers, athletes, and everyday gym goers to provide you with a no-nonsense approach to fitness knowledge. Straight Shot Radio is available on Podbean and iTunes, or you can check us out at straightshottraining.com.
recently overheard on the Who's Who podcast being said by the irredeemable shag. For me, because, you know, she's a crazy hot, raging woman, and now I can't not see that. But if you want more on her, check out the From Crisis to Crisis podcast. And also, someone for the love of God started Will Payton blog, please. Um, just saying. All right. All right, shag. You don't have to beg. Uh, that could be nice. Anyways, here you go, shag. Just for you. Monthly. The Starman Adventure Hour. Adventure. Wait a minute. I like Starman and all, but I don't know if I can talk for an entire hour about Will Payton. Huh, I know. I'll include another great 80s character I love. Mark Shaw, Manhunter. The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Available monthly on iTunes and at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. Also part of the Headcast Network. Come join the fun. Here we go back to the show. That's the fact, so now you know. Hope you enjoyed those promos. Check out those podcasts. There's some great shows there. Uh, now back on to our books. Let's move on to our second title, Suicide Squad number 20. The title of this issue was called Practice to Deceive. The cover date was December of 1988. But the on-sale date of this bad boy was September the 6th of 1988. And the cover price was $1. September, that's about the time I started going to junior college for the year. Anyways, uh, moving on, editor was Robert Greenberger. The writer, as usual, was uh, John Ostinger. The pencil, Luke McDonald. Inker, Robert Lewis. Letter, Todd Klein. Colorist, Carl Gafford. And the cover was done by Carl Kiesel. And the synopsis. Again, the credits and the synopsis all came from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Captain Boomerang has assumed the identity of the Mirror, Ma- Mirror Master, a fellow rogue, to commit crimes in New Orleans. While he is trying to rob two undercover cops, he is captured by Manhunter and taken to Belrev. Boomerang thinks Amanda Waller will catch on to his double life, but instead of unmasking him, she makes the Mirror Master an offer to join the Suicide Squad on their latest mission. During the mission, Captain Boomerang is forced to change back and forth between identities to maintain his secret. The mission to stop a group of zombie gangsters begin to go awry when the entire team, except for Boomerang, are turned into zombies. He is trapped and begins begging for his life. Then, the wall appears. She was aware of Captain Boomerang's double life the entire time. The mission was only a setup to scare him. Waller threatens to send Boomerang back to prison. He promises to get back in line. But secretly, he'll be waiting for another chance to get free of Waller's control. Uh, first of all, thanks, Mike, for those amazing recaps and gathering all that information. Uh, now onto my my thoughts and coverage of the actual story. We start out well, where we normally start, the cover. Uh, this, I'm going to lay right out on Front Street, I think is a great, fantastic, awesome cover. I, I love this cover. Uh, let me describe it to you. We start at the Suicide Squad logo right top where it's normally at. Right above it, it says Mirror Badness. Now, the actual design of the cover, uh, in the background, we see a shattered mirror. Uh, some images have images of Mirror Master. Some images have images of Boomerang. And they're both in the same angle, the, the same pose. Uh, in front of all that, we see the actual Captain Boomerang. And he's in a pose. He's kind of... Crouching down a little bit, he got his hands up over his face and his head. 
like he's trying to protect himself from the cracking mirror, maybe. I'm not quite sure what this is representing as far as, is he ducking the mirror? Is he watching out for Amanda Waller? Is it something else? Uh, but I, I think it's a fantastic image. I love the fact that, like I said, we got Mirror Master in the front, or Mirror Master, Captain Boomerang in the front, full costume. Uh, I don't care how corny this costume is. I love this costume. And I, I've commented on it before, I'm sure, but I'll, I'll comment on it again, I'm sure. I wish we could have got something like this in the Suicide Squad movie. But that's my own blatherings. Again, I like the fact how Captain Boomerang's, you know, got his hands up protecting himself. And in the mirror, we see the mere reflections of both Mirror Master and Captain Boomerang, who for all intents and purposes here is the same person. Uh, I just like the way it's laid out. It's a great cover. In fact, I'll have it on the website. You can check it out. And so we start the story. Again, we see your Mirror Master watching some people on the streets. And again, we find out right away it's Captain Boomerang. We get Captain Boomerang thanking Again, dresses Mirror Master. Uh, he's saying, "I run on." Let me see here. Again, he's thanking uh, Sumi Gallas a little time. I have my head examined. I mean, this looks a real beauty. I run on Captain Boomerang, dial in the Suicide Squad, keep it in the straight and narrow, and still get the full jobs as Mirror Master in the French Quarter, of me own backyard. And so far, I've nicked nothing here. <laughs> hey, again, please excuse my uh, crummy Australian accent. I hate to affect. I hate to. Uh, offend our Australian listeners and fellow friends of the show Paul Hicks, Mike Garvey and anyone else from uh, Down Under that listens, but you know well, it's stupid American, what do you want? And again here at the bottom of page two as Mirror Master aka Boomerang is casing out these two guys come walking down the street here to be drunk here in shadows we see uh, and again you may not recognize him right offhand. It could be John John the Martian Manhunter, possibly. Uh, but we'll find out here in just a minute. It's actually Mark Shaw Manhunter. And again, so as Boomerang leaves down, he, may, he knows also he's, he's got an Australian accent. So as he's leaping down, he thinks to himself, Gotta remember to put on the accents. All right, you guys, give me your wallets. These guys pull their guns out. Like, Sorry, we're the police. You need to arrest. Bloody hell. And then Mirror Master, who I'm going to call since he's just as Mirror Master right now, uh, uses his mirror tricks and makes uh, multiple of them show up. And as the cops are be befuddled by the multiple Mirror Masters, the real one gets taken out by Manhunter, who leaps down. They get like this. They're like, who the hell are you? Call me Manhunter. And I hunt the world's most dangerous game for a price. And in case you don't know, Manhunter has shown up in this book before. I think I've given a uh, character profile on him. But if you're a new time listener, first new time listener, first time listener to the show, uh, Mark Shaw Manhunter is a bounty hunter, as he says here. He dresses up in the old Manhunter guys and he hunts down criminals, again, for a price. He does it for the reward, the bounty on him. And if you want to hear more about The Manhunter, I do know of another show. In fact, you probably heard a promo about it before I started this episode, or this uh, this issue. I do run the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. The Manhunter I'm referring to is This Manhunter. So definitely check out uh, that show if you're interested in 
learning more about the Manhunter. And I made reference here a moment ago to the Martian Manhunter. Uh, this Manhunter has no relation to John Jones, the Martian Manhunter of the Justice League. Well, I guess it used to be the Justice League. Not anymore. Darn you, New 52. But anyways, again, another story. And so again, he takes the... Uh, Manhunter takes the Mirror Master out. The cop's like, oh, a bounty hunter. Bounty hunter, huh? You are interfering with police business, boy. And Mark's like, I'm making a citizen's arrest, which is within my rights. <laughs> and again, I I don't approve of anyone, even vigilantes, interfering with a cop when they're doing their job. But when the cops were clearly outmatched and confused like these were, if it wasn't for Mark, Mirror Master would have gotten away. So you can't really fault Mark Schaffer interfering when he did. And again, Boomerang, I'm sorry, Mirror Master's trying to access his his uh, the suit or whatever to make his getaway. And he's like, bloody hell, nothing's happening. And Mark's like, of course not. I fused your circuits as he cracks him up ahead of the baton. <laughs> the cop's like, and answers a question. The cop asks a question here. He's like, how'd you know what your Mirror Master to hit? Mark's like, had on the infrared sensors in the mask. The real mirror master was only one of the heat pattern. The rest were mirror-induced images. And again, the cop tells me yeah, they don't care where I came from. They don't care for uh, people doing the cop's job. And Manhunter's like, possession is still nine-tenths of the law, boys. Escape is the other tenth. As he flies away with his baton. And so Mark loads mirror master into the back of his van, takes him to Bell Rev, calls it in. And whoever answers tells them, you know, that Waller wants them both to come to the missions immediately. They need they need them for a mission, apparently. And Mark's like, something cooking, huh? Okay, I'll listen. Manhunter out. And Boomerang's thinking, bloody hell, I'm dog food. Old Mammy Waller's going to take one gink at me and realize Captain Boomerang's been playing her both ways. And the next thing we see is Mirror Master strapped to a chair and Amanda Waller in shadows. Hello, my name is Amanda Waller. Let me explain a few things to you. Starting right now, I own your tail. Boomerang's like, I want my lawyer. Well, of course you do. You're a cheap piece of slime who got caught red-handed doing a crime. You need a lawyer. I will personally see you get one right after we process you. Of course, to do that, we'll have to take off your mask. Find out who you are. Or we could do this another way. I represent a government agency that secretly undertakes dangerous missions. We got one right now, and we need help. You do it, survive, keep your mouth shut. We let you go. I don't care who you are as long as you're elsewhere. Are you interested? Uh, yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> and as she walks out, you're like, Colonel Flag, outfit our new recruit with a bracelet and explain its function, then meet me over in missions. I gotta ask Flo, she can raise Boomer butt. <laughs> Boomerang's like, eep. <laughs> and again, I don't remember when I first read this, what I thought about what was going on here. I, I don't know if, again, it's been years since I've read this. And I didn't read this when it first came out. I read this as a back issue probably a year or so after it came out. In fact, I can't remember these in order how I got these back issues. I didn't start until like 23 or 24 of the series. Um, but if you, if you know Amanda Waller, you might be able to tell that she actually, as I talked about in the synopsis, she actually does know what's going on here. Because, again, she's playing with him as she talks. She's like, you know, you'll get your lawyer once we process you. Of course, do that. We'll take off your mask. And, again, I, I don't know. 
uh, so I'm trying to remember or think is this in quotes out of character for Amanda would she delay the processing would she take the mask off right then if she wasn't trying to outwit and outplay Boomerang I'm not quite sure uh, for you guys out there that are fans of Amanda Waller what do you think is this what, should this have been a clue to someone reading the book that Amanda knows there's something going on here or is it just because we'll find out that she does know who this really is and uh, for the purposes of the story she didn't want him to know that she knows so but anyways uh, we go to the briefing room or the mission room and gather we see uh, Manhunter Rick Flag, Mirror Master Nightshade Vixen Duchess we have Nemesis and Flo all here in the room Amanda is telling the team that the New Orleans police have asked the federal government to help with a problem that the feds decided they're best for and then she lays out that they're looking for a group called the LOA I believe it's pronounced LOA it's a local group which combines elements of organized crime and voodoo it's run by someone called Dambla and it's divided into two main branches the Rada which takes care of areas like prostitution and drugs and then you have the Petro, which takes care of enforcement, muscle, and murders. And again, the background, like it's a plain white panel, which is Amanda Waller standing in front of a blackboard or chalkboard or whatever with the diagram laid out. Uh, again, I love the way Amanda Waller looks. I, I love her, her just the, the character itself. Uh, again, Amanda Waller's my favorite part of the Suicide Squad and one of my favorite characters in the DC Universe. She's just a great character. And then she goes on breaking down the, the the organization. They've got Hoogans, Mambo, Bacors, and so forth. And as she's talking, Mark Shaw gets up. Too much trouble. Sorry, I'm out of here. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not one of your regular peons, Waller. I do work for hire, and if I don't like the job, I don't take it. I've heard about the law. I'm not playing. She's like, well, double your normal fee. Does me no good if I don't live to collect it. You guys are on the Suicide Squad, and if you want to live up to your name, that's your business. I'm gone. And so that's Mark's involvement in this book. He's out of here. And then we see Captain Boomerang, a.k.a. Mirror Master, is all, uh, Can I ask a question? Yes. Like, uh, you are supposed to be a secret group, right? Won't doing this get you, uh, like, noticed? It's like, we'll go at night. It gets dark at night. Makes it harder to see. Any more questions? Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Meet yourselves till evening. Flo, if Boomerang doesn't call back, try to raise Black Orchid. Say she can go find the sleaze bag. <laughs> and Boomerang's thinking, I gotta fake my way out of this. Or figure out a way to be in two places at once. And so we got to his room where he's changing out of his uh, Mirror Master garb. And then he changes civilian clothes. And he asks for what to do with the bloody bracelet. Because if he tries to take it off, it's gonna blow his arm off. If he shows up to it, well, it's gonna pretty much announce who he really is. Because Boomerang doesn't wear a bracelet. And so he shows up, and he's got his arm in a, in a cast. And she's like, what are you wearing? Oh, this just slipped in the showers. Doc said be right a few days, as long as I don't use it. Is there a mission you wanted to use me on, was there? Like, yep, tonight, and you're on it. I need every warm body I can get. I'd love to help as well, but this is my bum wing and all. Down under, I mean what I say. Let's go have our own med look at it, shall we? Shall we? Uh, I don't have to do this, you know. I could quit. You don't have to wind up in the hospital either, but you could. Like, oh, I gotta take care of some stuff in the city, but I'll be back. 
He's like, like hell, you're staying right here until showtime. He's like, oh, I said I'll be there. Or pay me my bloody balls now because I will resign. All right, all right. You fail me and you wish you were never born. <laughs> so she tells him where to be at. And she tells him that he, he'll be on Nightshade's team. Meanwhile, Flag, Nemesis, Duchess, and Miramaster will come in off St. Louis. And she's like, by the way, you meet this Miramaster bozo yet? He's like, having it the pleasure. <laughs> and so, again, the team is gathering up for their mission. And they spread out looking for zombies. And so, again, as soon as uh, Miramaster gets out of sight, he switches into his Captain Boomerang garb. And like as he's running back, he's like, well, he's hiding in the costume. He's like, remember you left the Mirror Master collar, you old son? And he's running back. He's tying the, the tourniquet, the bandage back around his arm. Don't forget the bandage. Continuity, that's the ticket. He's like, you're late. I'm here, Vixen. Nice to work with you again. Let's go find a nice quiet tomb and have some naughty, shall, shall? <laughs> He's like, make that suggestion again. I'll put both arms in a sling. Because again, Captain Boomerang will be Captain Boomerang. And then he switches back to his Mirror Master gear. <laughs> He's this runs about fagging me. First chance I get, I think I'll kill off Mirror Master. Can I resurrect him later if I want? Have someone else find a spare uniform. And as he comes up to Nemesis, hey, Nemesis, I got cut off. What's going on? Nemesis turns around. He's a zombie. Uh, Rick Flag jumps in, knocks Nemesis aside, so Mirror Master can get away. And as she, he comes around, he sees Duchess. She's like, where were you, little maggot? The tech came from the sector you were searching. And next thing we know, both Rick Flag and Nemesis are zombies coming after Duchess. And Duchess is like, go find the other team. My whole thing's back here. Tell them to watch for Bokor. And he's like, screw it, I'm leaving. As he take, Mirror Master takes his mask off, we see it's Captain Boomerang. Then we see more zombies coming out of the ground. And so he's switching gear back into Captain Boomerang again. Nightshade, must be fine Nightshade. Gotta be Boomerang. And so he sees Nightshade and yells out, you got the trap. And all of a sudden we get this black guy jump up with a skull on his head. A, a red tattoo of some sort of animal or something on his chest. He, Disbelievers among our tombs, defilers and enemies, your little souls now belong to Bokor. He does a little mumbo-jumbo, and all of a sudden, uh, Shade, Vixen, and Nightshade become under his control, become zombies. There, there he is, the last. Take him. And Boomerang, <laughs> I like this here at the bottom of page 16. Boomerang is standing there. He's surrounded by his teammates that's been zombified. He's got Captain uh, Boomerang's tunic and gloves on. He's got Mirror Master's pants on, no mask. The guy's gauntlet on. He's like, no! So he keeps trying to run away. <laughs> Try pulling his boomerangs out to attack his teammates with it. Crap, 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 crap. Oh, no! So he falls down. <laughs> He's laying on the ground surrounded by the, his teammates and zombies. Bloody hell, I can't get my boomerangs! Listen, don't kill me. Don't hurt me. Don't turn me into a zombie. I'm not really one of them. I'm not. I'm on your side. Ah, oh, please. Honest, please. <laughs> Next thing we know, we see, we can't see who it is, but you know who it is just by our talking. He's like, down under, you are in deep doo-doo. He looked at Waller, but then who is Bokor? And then we see it's Bronx Tiger pulling the mask of Bokor off his head. <laughs> and he's, we find out that these zombies that were coming after him are actually members of the ground crew. They volunteered. 
<laughs> She's like, members of the ground crew, volunteers, one and all. Had to turn down town some. We got too many. You knew? You knew I was a mirror master? This is all a trick. Just for me, this whole Lola thing's a fake? Oh, yeah, and you believed it, voodoo gangsters. Not so much as fake as a joke, and it's all on you. You bloody black bike, what do you think you're playing with? And again, Amanda Waller, part of why I love her. Again, she's shorter than Captain Boomerang. Captain Boomerang's a villain, and she's just a normal human. She walks up and grabs him by his lapels and is like, I know who I'm playing with. A floor-flushing loser who took advantage he was given and spat them back in people's eyes, or faces. A jailbird who was going back to jail. We played Boomer for the Fool, and you tried to play the squad. You tried to play me. Guess how much I like that Boomerat. Not much. <laughs> you know that little apartment you got in the corner? Kiss it goodbye. Anyway, he still is going back, and you're going to come back and live in Bel Rev. You go on every mission I send you, and you're going to button your trap and play straight. Or is it going to turn you over to the authorities, and you can come live with a number at Bel Rev? You want that? And Begrudge's like, I'll go with you. I can figure out a way to get some on your bleedy bike. And I will admit, I had to look it up because I've heard Boomerang, well, I haven't heard, but I've read Boomerang call Amanda a bike all these years. I've heard Boomerang, or actually I've read Boomerang call her that all these years. So I was actually curious what it actually meant. I assumed it was another word for a, a black person. And maybe it is, but I'm looking at Urban Dictionary, one of the few places I could find it. And according to this... Uh, one of the definitions is someone who shag anyone. Uh, there's also another one in here that says something that's usually stolen by a rabid nigga. Nigga stole my... Oh, talking about a bicycle. So, the only thing I saw, I'm assuming he, he's using it for the uh, someone who, who shag anyone. Who means get busy if anyone. <laughs> so basically he's calling her a hoe. Nice to know. And then... Uh, we find out we get uh, Floyd saying that he got a call from Flo back at Bell Rev. They heard that the authorities in Spokane, Washington. Seems there been a series of robberies by some calling himself Mirror Master. DC wants to know what's related to theirs. And man is like, Boomer Butt? That's not me. I got nothing to do with it. Bloody hell, someone's crapping my act. So the team returns to the Bell Rev. And as they leave, there's a, a black gentleman, suit and tie, glasses watching them and he goes to the Louisiana Ordnance Association LOA hmm and as he goes in he's all all when is your told Damala they be convinced the law is only a legend bien bocor it's an old trick tell them enough truth to make them think it's a lie they will not see the Lola now because they do not believe in us call the other hooligans it's time to go back to business eh and again, we get this this large black man sitting in an office chair. There's uh, like tiki statues or whatever on either side of him. Uh, a jewel, not jewel, but a uh, looks like a fancy cup. Steam coming off the middle of the table. And so again, this sets up setting some future stories where the Lola actually does come against our Suicide Squad. But that's a story for another time. Uh, next, we have Facing Cray. And again, another great issue. I, I love John Ostender's writing on this. As I say, this month and every month, John does a fantastic job on the Suicide Squad. I, I like the fact that Amanda Waller is smarter than Boomerang gives her credit for. She she knew that he was she was playing them all, 
and that he was actually Mirror Master. Again, the Mirror Master they reference in here. Uh, let's go back a step. The original Mirror Master, his name was... I'm trying to find his name real quick. Here we go. It's Sam, the original uh, Mirror Master was named Sam Scudder, who again was a Flash villain. He first showed up in the Flash 105 back in March of 1959. It looks like he died around the same time of the Crisis on Infinite Earths, which I talk. I don't talk about Sam, but I talk about the Crisis on Infinite Earths on episode, I think it was 32 of Head Speaks, where it relates to the Atom showing up in there. Uh, again, I'm going looking at Wikipedia right now. It talks about how Captain Boomerang briefly assumed Scudder's identity. And it goes on talking about the Black Knight crossover, which we'll get to at some point, possibly. And then the next Captain Boomerang is an Irish, a Scottish mercenary named Evan McCulloch. And according to this, his first appearance was in Animal Man number 8 in February of 1989. Uh, so seeing how this book came out in 88, the end of 88, uh, I don't know. So I'm, I'm assuming, I don't, I don't know, I'm assuming. I'm wondering if this uh, Mirror Master that they're referencing here, if they knew that uh, Evan McCulloch was going to appear over in Animal Man in a couple of months, or if it was just a throwaway line. I'm assuming... And again, since he didn't actually show up, it's just a reference. I, I don't blame Wikipedia for not referencing it as being his first appearance. But again, Wikipedia, and I go, it's not Wikipedia's not 100% accurate all the time. Uh, Wikipedia says his first assignment was a scary animal man, who again takes place after the story. So I don't know. Again, I'm just throwing out guesses and, and suppositions, suppositions, guesstimates here about what's going on, but. Anyways, enough about that. So at this point, Mirror Master's dead, and Boomerang was impersonating him, and apparently, and I'm going to assume that it's the, the Evan McCulloch was the one that was uh, mentioned in the story here at the end. But I guess that's it. Uh, again, it's a great story. I, I really enjoyed, again, I enjoy Captain Boomerang. I enjoy The Wall. I enjoy what John Austin is doing with these characters. He makes them, as I said before, he makes them into real-life people that you actually want to care about. So I think it's a great a great story, a great time. But other than to go on about this, how great John Austin is and how I love his talent, I love Luke McDonald's pencils on the story. Okay, I love on every story he does. Well, Suicide Squad stories. Um, and I love the Dutch, but let's not go to sing their praise anymore. Let's go and end this episode right now. Thank you all very much for joining us. We will see you next month when we cover more than likely. We'll be touching on Checkmate 10 and Suicide Squad 21. Is what I'm assuming at this point without looking at the right page. <laughs> Otherwise, you can catch me elsewhere on the Headcast Network. I have my other shows. Uh, Head Speaks, G.I. Joe, Royal American Headcast, and the Starman Manhunter Adventure, which I mentioned briefly earlier. Also, check out my newest show, the Krypton Podcast. It's not part of the Headcast Network. It's got its own 
feed as part of the DC TV podcast. That's where me, Pat Sampson, and Matt Moore will be talking about the upcoming sci-fi TV show, Krypton. We look into Krypton's past about 200 years ago before Superman was blasted, or sorry, Kal-El was blasted off the Earth. And again, as we talked about on the first episode we just released uh, last week, uh, apparently there's going to be some time travel involved, Adam Strange, Hot Girl, Doomsday, Brainiac. Check it out. It's a great show. Of course I would say that. But that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, until next time, squadmates dismissed. Listen to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just had crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at HeadSpeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under Headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at Task Force X, and also on Google Plus, you can look for Task Force X under people pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother... (laughs) Well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. 